this past week, um, I, I couldn't not mention um, the two high-profile deaths of um, the world-renowned famous chef Anthony Bourdain and the um, uh, fashion uh, designer Kate Spade, death by, of course, um, having taken their own lives. And um, it is a reminder to me um, of the state of the world that we live in and that there are people who are profoundly lost. And we grieve when we see these people's deaths, um, even though we don't know them personally, because we've been affected, um, not only because we've been affected by their uh, public uh, work and appearance and, the, and their careers, um, but because um, deep inside there's a way in which we too are intricately uh, integrated into the same story that they are. I believe that um, our passage from Genesis today will help shed some light on this story that I mentioned, and it will also uh, point us towards the gospel, the good news that is even contained in our passage from Genesis, as tragic as a situation um, as it is. I have a personal story first to share with you of lostness. When I was in my early 20s, um, I was... Uh, quite a character. Um, I lived a fairly wild lifestyle. And one of the things that I like to do is to go to big music festivals. And one of my favorite music festivals uh, was called Bonnaroo. And it is a uh, festival with um, over 80,000 people held annually on a farm in Tennessee on a 700-acre farm. It is huge. It is the modern-day Woodstock. It is huge. And you would go there for uh, four days, uh, three nights and four days, camping out in tents. Um, and you party, and you went to watch music. And I got to see lots of great music there. I saw Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. I saw James Brown before he died. Man, was that a show. I saw Radiohead. I saw all kinds of shows. But one night in particular, I will always remember, I woke up in the middle of the night, it was probably two or three in the morning, to use the restroom, so I went off to find, of course, a portageon, because that was the only restrooms there, amid a sea of tents and cars and people, most who have finally quieted down a little bit for the night. And somewhere along the way, I'm directionally challenged, I made a wrong turn, and I could not find my way back to my tent. We're talking thousands and thousands of tents. And uh, I wandered and I wandered and I wandered looking and looking and looking for what I thought I had uh, marked in my head as landmarks by our campsite. And um, probably uh, two hours later, I finally did uh, find my way back. But at one point I thought, I'm going to just have to lay down on the ground and get a little bit of sleep before the morning. But as I wandered around that night, uh, directionally lost, I became deeply um, aware of a sense in which I was lost, really lost. And uh, I couldn't have named it at the time until later. But I, as I walked around, I looked at other people and saw other people who were lost, wandering around aimlessly um, in that world. And uh, I wonder if that that feeling of being lost was what Adam and Eve experienced on some level um, in our passage today. So we're going to start there and look through this passage a little bit. Um, I want to look at what, you, you probably know the backstory to this passage. It's the wandering around in the garden immediately after what we refer to as the fall, right? They have eaten, uh, they have disobeyed God and done that one thing that he asked them not to do, which was to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and they ate from it. And so they're wandering around 
in the garden afterwards. And we are given the story of the aftermath on that. And so I want to look at several things that sin does, that sin leads to. And the first is this, sin sends us into hiding. It says this, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. Hiding from God. Really? <laughs> this is like uh, when my two-year-old puts a blanket over her head and uh, I, she thinks I can't hear her chuckling underneath and she thinks, right? Hiding from God. Kind of funny. Um, sin sends us into hiding. It sends us into hiding from God's presence. Jesus uh, says in the Gospel of John, all who do evil hate the light and do not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Sin isolates us. It cuts us off from God and from others. Now, notice God's response, though. Notice God's response in this situation. Where are you? Where are you? God's immediate response to blatant rebellion of his creatures is pursuit. Not condemnation or destruction, pursuit. He doesn't want to let the relationship go. If only I could have heard that voice that night when I was lost. Where are you? Number two, sin creates unhealthy fear. Adam says, I was afraid because I heard you coming. I was afraid because I heard you coming. You see, if we don't fear God, we become afraid of God. Um, You see, if you fear God, that is, you honor him, you respect him, you love him, you obey him, there's nothing to be afraid of, even God himself. You see, sin separates us from God and creates anxiety and fear. Uh, number three is this sin brings about shame. Um, Adam is now ashamed. He says, I knew that I was naked. Adam is ashamed of his nakedness. He's forgotten that he's made for fellowship with God. And so he runs away from God. Uh, the author Brennan Manning um, says this, God calls me by name and I do not answer because I do not know my name. You see, Adam, because of his sin, forgot his name, child of God. Sin makes us forget who we are. It makes us forget who we are. It makes us, it makes it difficult for us to hear the voice of God calling after us. Where are you? And yet he calls. You see, everyone has this voice deep down inside. Everyone. I believe everyone has this voice of God calling deep down inside. Where are you? It's just some of us are a little bit better at ignoring it for a longer time of distracting ourselves from it. Um, Anthony Bourdain, who just mentioned, uh, who just took his own life, he was quoted in an interview um, in some years past um, saying, uh, talking about his drug addictions to heroin and crack cocaine. And he said, I hurt many people because of my addictions. And then he said this, this is this really caught me off guard. It's a shame I always have to live with. What if he would have heard that voice? What if he would have opened his ears and listened to that voice? Where are you? Finally, sin causes us to avoid taking responsibility. God approaches Adam. What does Adam say? She did it. Actually, he blames God. He says, the woman that you gave me made me sin, right? The woman that you gave me, he blames God. And then he blames Eve and Eve blames the serpent and so on and so forth. They start to, sin causes us to play the blame game, doesn't it? Lord, it was because of this situation that you let me go through. That's why I indulge in the sin that I indulge in. 
It's because of my past. It's because of my parents. It's because of what they did to me. That's why I cling to the sin that I cling to. And God says, my child, playing the blame game will not bring you out of the darkness and into the light. Come out. Where are you? Now, the whole thing is very messy and tragic, isn't it? It's the start of humankind, and here we are, estranged from God, estranged from one another. Eden is lost. They're banished. This paradise in the presence of God is lost. Well, how will this be fixed? How will it be fixed? God speaks to the serpent, and he says this. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall strike your head and you will strike his heel. Um, this is what the early church fathers called the proto-evangelium, that is the pre-gospel. The pre-gospel, they saw this as a seed of the gospel in the very first pages of the Old Testament. And we're going to look now forward to our passage in Mark because this passage actually sheds light on some strange things that Jesus says. And he, what he is doing sheds light on our passage in Genesis. So if you want to turn in your bulletin and look at um, our passage from Mark chapter 3, that is where we will move now. Now, the um, context is this. Jesus has been out. He's begun his public ministry. And um, one of the things that clearly he has been doing is he has some kind of power to expel evil spirits that are afflicting people. And um, the scribes and the Pharisees notice this power, and they're obviously very, they're very shocked that such a man could have this power, and they don't want to attribute it to God because they do believe that he is a false prophet, he is not the Messiah, and they don't want to attribute his power to a God, a God but they have to attribute it to somebody, and so they attribute Jesus' power of casting out demons to Satan. And Jesus says to them, guys, let's think about your logic for a minute. Casting out Satan by the power of Satan. That's just stupid. (laughs) It's just bad logic. How can Satan cast out Satan? His kingdom would be divided. But then he says this strange thing. He says, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man. Then, indeed, the house can be plundered. What is that all about? Strong man, his house, plundering his house. You see, the strong man is Satan, the power of evil and death at work in the world. And his house is this world. It is a realm in which he has been given temporary power. The power of sin and death reign here. Everybody still dies. People are slaves to sin. That's the house. And Satan is the strong man of the house. And what is Jesus saying? I've come to plunder the house and take back what belongs to me. That's gospel. That is gospel. That is the dominion of Christ breaking into this realm that is under the power of sin and death since the Garden of Eden, and taking it back. Now, we lost Eden. We lost Eden. We lost God's presence. And Jesus comes to restore it, to restore us 
to Eden, to restore us to God's presence. It's kind of like a covert operation of overthrowing the enemy on his own territory. That is the life and ministry of Jesus. He is overthrowing his enemy on his own territory. Now, I like revenge flicks. Um, maybe you do too. One of my, uh, they appeal to us. One of my favorites is Man on Fire with Denzel Washington. Have you ever seen this movie? This is a, gr- this is a great movie, and um, if you can stand a little, little bit of violence, you should watch it. But he's an ex-CIA operative, and he's, uh, he's given this mission to protect this uh, young girl, and she gets kidnapped. And uh, so he, 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 um, he goes after her, and he plunders enemy territory. And uh, man, does he use violence. Oh, yes, he does. And he gets that girl back. Sorry, spoiler alert. But man, it's awesome. He, 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 he goes in, he kicks some rear end around, but he uses violence and force. And um, when we look at Jesus and how he plunders his enemy's house, we see a little bit of a difference, don't we? Because he doesn't use violence. He doesn't use force. How does Jesus overcome evil? He heals, he casts out unclean spirits, he forgives sins, he loves his enemies, he releases people from their shame and their guilt. And then, remember, Genesis 3, he said, you will strike his heel, but he will strike your head. It's a death blow, right? That's what it's describing. You see, the ultimate act of Jesus' plundering is when he surrenders himself to crucifixion because he strikes a death blow to the serpent, to the power of sin and death, because he will, in three days' time, be raised by the power of God and sin and death will be defeated forever. Do you see now why the church fathers called it the pre-gospel, this curse on the serpent, that he would uh, strike, he would, he would, like a viper, strike the heel of Jesus, the offspring of the woman, but his head would be struck once and for all. Amazing. You see, Jesus is gaining back for us what we lost in Eden, God's presence, relationship with God, wholeness. He opens the way back up to God's presence for us so that all who put their trust in him have forgiveness, freedom from guilt and shame and fear, wholeness. See, there's a widespread perception of Christianity in our culture that's, well, it's oppressive and the God of Christianity is just, he's all, it's all guilt and shame and you're just also supposed to feel shame all the time for everything that you do. Anytime you have fun, you should just feel guilty about it. But that is the opposite of the God of the Bible because he comes to die for us, to release us from guilt and shame and fear. The gospel is good news. You see, Jesus earns for us what we couldn't earn. We could not earn our way by our good works back into Eden, back into the presence of God. And so Jesus comes and he he fixes what Adam and Eve couldn't take responsibility for. He is the ultimate expression of God calling to us, where are you? You see, in him, in Christ, we're back in the fullness of relationship with our Heavenly Father. There's no barriers anymore. We're back enjoying walking through the garden, if you will, enjoying His presence. He's putting us to back together one piece at a time, having forgiven our sins. He's taken away our need to hide. 
taking away our shame, if you have been hiding from him, please hear his voice to you. Where are you? He gives us the ability to take responsibility for our sin and then to find complete freedom from it. Because he does not will that anybody carries that burden around. And as he does that, here's what happens. My sermon today, the title is Jesus the Plunderer, um, but I should have titled it Jesus the Plunderer and his co-plunderers. Because when he redeems us, he then invites us to be co-plunderers with him. See, to continue his mission of helping people out of the darkness of sin and shame. He extends that mission in the world through his church. We are to be that healing presence now. We are to be the one who relieves people of their suffering. We are to be the people who bring justice to those who are in need in our communities. We are the ones to speak the truth of the God of the gospel who loved this world in such a way that he gave his only son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. My uh, own story, as your story, has shaped me in a particular way. My experiences of being lost have shaped me in a particular way and given me a heart for young people who are lost in a similar way that I was. Drugs, alcohol, relationships that were broken and awful. And maybe the particular way in which God has brought healing into your life has given you a passion for people who are dealing with the same things you used to deal with when you were lost, when you were estranged from him. So here's a challenge. Here's a challenge. Think about the ways that God has healed you and made you whole. And ask yourself, who is like me before I knew the Lord? Who is like me before I knew the Lord? Maybe it's someone that the Lord has yet to bring into your life. And then... Seek a relationship with them. Invite them to a community event. Invite them to a meal at your home. Invite them out for coffee and listen to their story and share your story. I uh, had a neighbor who moved out recently, but it turns out is working at my chiropractor clinic and uh, is a man my age who um, in some ways uh, reminds me of me when I was a little bit younger. And so I've uh, reached out to him and got his phone number and we're going to have coffee. I'm pursuing that relationship because I think that God has something for him and wants to call, is calling him, where are you? And I want to see him called out. And so I'm going to pursue that relationship and I challenge you to do that with someone in your life. You see, we are co-plunderers. We are plundering the enemy's house of sin and death to call people out of their shame and their guilt and their darkness. And we often forget this. We often forget that the kingdom of God, the movement of God in this world is on the offense. The gates of hell will not prevail against it, Jesus says. We are to actively push forward into the world, trusting that God will use us to release other people into freedom, to show others a way out of hiding in their shame and their guilt and their fear and lead them to the good and merciful God who continues to cry out to his lost creatures in the person of his son, saying, 
Where are you? Let's pray. Father, you pursue us because your heart is that big that it encompasses all of humanity. And your heart breaks when you see your children hiding in the darkness, trying to distract themselves from the voice inside of them that is calling them into the light. And we thank you for sending your son who walked this earth calling people out of the darkness and into your marvelous light to live lives of freedom and wholeness. We thank you that you've given us the privilege to be a part of that movement. God, show us who in our lives you are calling us to build relationships with and to call them and to show them that there is a voice calling to them that loves them and knows them by name. We ask that you would empower us for this ministry in the days ahead. In Christ's name, amen.